There we go. All right. What's happening, music man? <laughs> not much. Not much. My my wife might join us here in a little bit. I figured uh, we'd get her uh, take on the whole racing thing. She was a big part of my racing career. Yeah, for sure. I welcome her on. Um, we are recording. Um, I'd like to just jump right into it, as usual. And oh, yeah. so uh, I think we talked about 81 weeks ago. Uh, I've been doing one a week, and yours <laughs> was uh, in the 30s, maybe. Um, I think this would be the ericswanracing.com podcast number 120 with Bob Swicky and maybe his wife. So uh, thanks for coming on, talking to me again, and getting a, a recap. Yeah. So uh how do you like the track wrestling thing you were doing? Yeah, it's been uh it's been fun. I would say uh don't count on it as a career option uh right. because you can do it every weekend, it just doesn't pay a whole lot. Um so it's not, it can't be your only thing. And I I think I did it a little too much. And yep. and some of them were uh completely unpaid volunteer gigs like Formula One and IndyCar and MotoGP, which I'm super happy to have done, but um it, it hurts it hurts the pocketbook it's an investment with um you know flying across the country and yeah. uh plane tickets and hotel and you know a lot of times i did it as cheap as possible so i just fly down there with a backpack and a tent in my backpack and uh a little stuff sack for a pillow with your clothes in it or underwear and socks and then uh I would walk from the airport in the case of Coda circuit of the Americas walk from the airport to the racetrack. And, uh, it's tough, tough doing that, but it, it can be done. So yeah, I would not discourage anybody from trying it. I would say, uh, did you uh, do a cross race at all? Or? I did one motocross. I did AMA district 14 at Grattan, One of the last time ever that they had uh, the Grattan race. And, uh, that was cool. Um, uh, got paid for doing that one. Oh, at, with all the guys and the gals of the marshals and uh it was it was a cool gig but i guess Grattan raceway motocross track is going away that's what the rumor is yeah that sucks that, um, uh, last year uh they never really drew any big crowds and i don't understand why it's a good great track yeah Super. i've heard it's one of the best tracks in the country same goes for the road racing course but um the facilities could be maybe a little bit better but yeah. um I would say, or I heard the rumor is that um, there's a group of investors that are going to demolish that all and build eight condos there, uh, kind of like the Audubon Country Club, and then okay. have uh, an opportunity for more people to buy into it um, and have it like more of an up, become an upscale, more type of place where they can uh, really put some housing there and garages and uh, market it that way. Well, anything they can do to get that place repaved. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. Everybody complains about the sealer strips. And um, when you're crossing on the pavement, that's not always the most fun thing. I remember the first year I started racing, uh, they had a national. I think the that first year I was racing, it was my first track day. They had a national a week before, weekend before, Andy Kraft crashed and blew his uh, wrist apart. Yeah, that was a, I wouldn't say career ending injury, but it took him out for a little while and multiple surgeries later. And uh, when I was racing against him, he was, he was uh, complaining about it saying he doesn't have the full use of his uh, range of motion on his throttle hand, which that's one that you need to have good. It's, you don't see very many people switching the throttle to the left side. 
<laughs> no. And now he's, uh, I think he's doing mountain bike racing now. Yeah, he's killing it in mountain biking. He's uh, winning races. I'm not sure if he's going for like a championship right now or if he's like uh, just doing one-off races. I saw um, he went up to the Iceman Cometh, which is a huge race in uh, Michigan. Cometh. That was like super warm this year. Yeah, it was no ice at all. It's um, I just took a little walk today. It was like 61 degrees or something. Yeah, it was 76 here yesterday. That's amazing. It might snow tomorrow. Who knows? <laughs> Supposed to. That's what the yeah. weather says. Is it really? Uh, I thought it was just, you know, Michigan. It It's uh, four seasons in one day. You never know what it's going to happen. Exactly. Did you, did, have you raced that Iceman race now? No, I haven't done the Iceman. It's a little above my uh, threshold for pain. Usually uh, it's uh, the best guys in the country are coming for that race. Um, and it's, they have a purse, I, I hear. So I wouldn't finish in the top. 100 probably but i enjoy doing it i enjoy riding but this year i've been slacking i've been doing so many other things my my mileage is way down i might have like 250 miles this year usually i do at least a thousand fifteen hundred miles uh of cycling and running so i've been been doing a lot of other things like the marshalling and coaching so it takes up some time that's my excuse <laughs> have your like, new track bike up for sale already yeah, so um, I just bought a 2008 Kawasaki Ninja ZX6R from my buddy, and uh, it's it's ready to go, race ready, nothing wrong with it, just some small blemishes here and there that don't really matter. Um, I got a, a job offer. I got two job offers, um, and I'm taking both of them. One of them's part-time, the other's more full-time, but they'll work with me with my schedule. And uh, so I'm planning on moving out to Vegas, um, and... Thanks maybe January, mid January. So I'll be here for like two months and a day, I think if everything works out. So it's, things are starting to move fast and I go back to Vegas in about a week, uh, just for a week right after Thanksgiving, um, from like the 28th to the 7th of December and test it out, like do a full test run, see if I really want to move 2000 miles across the country. Cause that's not cheap. Um, right. and so right. selling this bike and my entire setup would help me pay for all that. And, um, uh, Although I'd love to, I don't plan on going full racing uh, after just moving across country for the next year or so, get my bearings straight, get my money right. And uh, the job, both jobs will be racetrack jobs. So I'll be on track anyways, coaching people. The one in Vegas is is an exotic racing car coaching company. Oh, wow. Um, so I'll be on track coaching people like every day, uh, 364 days out of the year. In like Ferrari, Lamborghini, Porsche, Maserati, uh, McLaren. So I'm like, okay, I, yeah, I guess I'm going to move across the country for that. And yeah. then uh, the other one is for a really well-known motorcycle coaching company that they operate in like six countries and 11 states. So I don't plan on going, I would love to, but I don't plan on going overseas just yet. I think I got to get really vetted before I do that and maybe learn some new languages. I don't know. But okay. um but definitely we'll be going to about 10 or 11 states next year for motorcycle coaching. So it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to, and they provide a motorcycle. So I don't need this motorcycle I just bought. So anybody's looking for it, I have a gen Generac generator, pit canopy, um, pit table, um, everything that you need to go racing except uh, a tow vehicle uh and my leather is in a toolbox but um my trailer is for sale my motorcycle is for sale uh i'd love to sell it all as one package i have 13 takeoff tires 
I don't want to part out the bike, but I'll separate the package. If anybody's interested, this is today is uh, November 11th, 2022. So if you're watching this a little later, it's probably still for sale unless I've taken it down. Have you, did you put it on sport bike track times classified? It's on the STT forum. It's on the Wera forum. I posted it on uh, Facebook marketplace and Craigslist in Metro Detroit. I'm in Sterling Heights, Michigan. Um, so yeah, just, uh, trying to get my money out of it now. If it's, it seems like such, such a shame. I was just borrowing it from my friend and then, uh, I got this opportunity. I'm like, Oh, well now what? <laughs> so, you, only live once. you only live once. Yeah. So have you ever moved across the country or have you always stayed in Michigan? Uh, I'm originally from the Utica area down, down by, right by where you live. Yeah. But, uh, Heather has, Heather's lived in Texas for a while. I've, Pretty much bread and spread right here. That's okay. Hey Heather, <laughs> nice to meet you. Thank you. Um, so tell me about your move. Was it was it hectic? Was it for work or for pleasure or just a new uh, new scenery? It was for work. Um, I worked for Shell Oil Company for a seismic crew. Um, we were based out of Gaylord, um, and we all moved to Houston. Okay. Yeah, I was there for almost six years. And uh, that's a wholly, totally different climate than uh, northern Michigan. It, it, <laughs> it was. It was, um, yeah, I was introduced to phenomenal foods. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and culture, art. Um, and coming back here, was more of a culture shock than going there. Okay. Still <laughs> yeah. I I would call this Jack Pine Savage Country <laughs> because I'd go to the store and here and could not buy lamb or cilantro. Really? Or, you know, it's um it's it's changed. I mean this was um, 25, 26 years, 27 yeah, years ago. It was 87, something. 88 when you moved out there, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Yeah, it was a while ago. It was, it was a long time ago, but um, yeah, yeah. So I'm it looking was, forward to, Nevada, um, right on the border of California, is uh, it's pretty cool because it's really close to Mexico. When I went down there, you go into a normal sh a normal store or shop, and they just automatically speak Spanish. I'm like, this is great. I could practice all day and get better just by moving somewhere different. Well, I took French in high school, so okay. moving to Houston and knowing French, <laughs> yeah, zero. <laughs> Very good, um, and. Uh, did they did they pay for your travels or was it all out of pocket for you? No, they did. They did pay pay for me. Um, Self treated you pretty good back then. It was it was hard. I'm an only child, um, and moved down there basically by myself. Um, I was there for several months before the whole crew came, um, so it was really really hard. But <clears throat> I grew up. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's like I had lived on my own before, but moving there, you're an adult. 
you know. Yeah. You got to grow a, up real fast. You do. You do. Um, I wouldn't change it for anything. Nope. Nope. Um, the experiences that that I had there were were awesome. That's you good know. to hear. It's uh, encouraging anyways. It's uh, it's like a big decision uh, moving across the country and, you know, most yeah. of your friends won't be over there, but I think uh, I'm okay with um, being on my own. I'm okay. I'm not, a, I wouldn't say a loner, but um, you know, I'm oh. okay with, with uh, I'm comfortable with myself. Right. Um, Anybody who's been intent as much as you have this past summer, you got <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And uh, most of the time when you're going to all these new racetracks, I don't know everybody. So I'll just go canopy to canopy or tent to tent and like, Hey, what's up guys? I'm Eric. Uh, where are you guys from? And just start conversations and you meet a lot of people because uh, at the racetrack, people are from all over the place. Yep. Um, and so you might not have a ton of racetrack friends in your city. They might be all over the country or, all, you know, spread out quite a bit. So I'm kind of used to that aspect. So the F1 race you marshaled, there's probably a lot of uh, people from other parts of the world, eh? Oh, yeah. From uh, We had in my one corner, I wouldn't necessarily call it a corner. I was at turn 9.5, which was pretty much a straightaway with a kink. Uh, huh. It's right where they opened their DRS zone. And uh, we had a guy from Azerbaijan, another one from Austria. Um, and uh, funny enough, another guy from Michigan and uh one from texas i mean each each post has like seven people in it um huh. and uh there's 50 or more posts around the track so it's uh tons of people and there's a lot of people from montreal they were trying to get me to go to the montreal grand prix and and marshall there because that's not too far away from michigan it's just around the corner um pr probably one of the closest races to us and uh so they were all they were all you know, voting for that and uh, talk to a lot of people on the bus. They have like probably, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 Greyhound buses full of marshals. Oh, it's wild. Um, and they use four different hotels. And if anybody's looking to do it, you don't need much training. I would recommend doing like an amateur race first to get your foot wet. But um, I just talked to a guy, Tony Danelli. He was a marshal with me at the MotoGP race. And yeah. Uh, podcast just came out yep just the other day and uh you know it's just uh it's so cool to meet all these different people and get their stories and what they're doing in their spare time and uh what, what they're into he's really an indycar guy he did the the nashville grand prix the music city um and uh just just cool getting a different perspective of all these different people it's like a master class in communication were you able to get into the pits and see any of the cars up close? That I mean that that's yeah. like technology forefront right there, man. Oh, it was great. I mean, the tickets are nine hundred dollars, and I get in for free. Um, <laughs> you know, and that's just for like general admission, no seat. So wow. uh, they were going as high as VIP um, with being not even on the marketplace, like just the the standard place where you buy them from, not the third party sellers. VIP was $27,000 for three days for one oh. ticket. So you, that's like you're buying a car. So I took it all advantage as much as I could with walking around the pits. And I guess I wasn't supposed to, cause I was not a grid marshal, but um, I had the, the bib on and the lanyards um, and uh, you know, wearing the orange stuff. So you look like you're 
you're where you're supposed to be. So they don't you're really question you. Or an escape convict. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't really know if this is my color. I don't want to be wearing this orange like that. I feel like I'm just walking out of prison or something, but um, it was still cool. But yeah, walk, walk straight down the pit lane. I huh. actually, um, they, we had quite a bit of downtime. I was surprised with, um, and I didn't have the radio. Like there's only one person in your corner who has a radio. So I'm like, okay, well, if you don't need me, I'm just going to go for a walk. And, uh, so I, I walked all around the track, like in no man's land between the racetrack and where the marshal stand. And then you got the, the barriers for all the, the guests and the spectators. So in this no man's land, it travels all the way around the track, whether it's outside or the inside of the track. Um, I try to do both inside and outside, but by the time, um, I was doing my second lap, um, they had to, uh, they were doing some sort of, uh, course clearance and we had to get back to our station. So I had to hustle back, but yeah, it was super cool. You can, uh, you can see all the cars. I mean, I'm walking up and they have just the, uh, the, the roping, the, like you see at uh, lines and Cedar point, they have those kind of ropes in front of their boxes, but there's all the drivers that are in there, all the mechanics and I'm 10 feet away and just, just seeing everything. It's like, wow, this is, this is really cool. So yeah. Any motorsports fans who want to do that, you can totally do that. Um, just got to sign up at the right times. Then there might be a couple thousand people who apply. So okay. they only take about 500. So if you are looking to do it, that's why I was starting to get all these different credentials with AMA district 14 and WERA and CCS ARMA, um, North American talent cup and MotoGP and, um, just trying to pad my stats so I could go wherever I wanted and, uh, it, it works. And, but Tony, that was his first time ever doing it at the form at the MotoGP event. And I was surprised he got in because he had no prior experience, but, um, you know, there's always a percentage of people who don't show up you know, like 40 to 50 people, I think out of 500. So they were, they were a little short, but they were still fine. Like at, at, uh, at Coda, they had like turn 11, a turn 11, B 11, C D E F. I'm like, how many 11s do we need here? Like they had a Marshall post, like every 50 feet. I was like, this is kind of excessive, but if we got the people, why not? Where are we at on Coda? I was at turn 11. So uh, I think I'm saying it right, right before you go onto the long back straightaway. And uh, a lot of crashes there, a lot of incidents. People are pushing the front, uh, coming into it, and high siding coming out. And, you know, I know this as a racer, been being in so many tracks, but the elevation on TV does not do justice. It actually goes down quite a bit um, coming at, out of 11 um, to where we can't even see them for a second. It goes down that much. Um, so then they reappear as they're going up to 200 miles an hour down the straightaway. 212, it's, I think. Or any kind of video doesn't really bring out the, the depth of some of that. Because I know, like, Laguna Seca, I've been there before, and how steep the corkscrew is is amazing. It's like, what, eight stories drop in a couple hundred feet? Yeah. I was out there for the 93 GP. Okay. Yeah, cool. I haven't been to Laguna Seca yet, and uh, definitely on the list, though. It's, uh, it's an iconic circuit. It's up there with, like, Silverstone you know, in the yep. Nürburgring, um, it's, it's probably the, one of the most famous tracks in the world. Yep. <clears throat> and Valentino didn't like it. <laughs> well, he got, well, didn't he got, get beat there? No, he beat Casey there. Yeah, it was, that was, uh, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was uh, his move on Casey wasn't the the smoothest. <laughs> yeah, right in the dirt. He he could have gotten uh, track limits warning for that one. Right. All right. <laughs> oh, he gets away with that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. Valentino. <laughs> but uh, I so Heather, so she could because uh, she kind of I don't I think that maybe her uh, point of view on racing is a little bit different than probably some of the interviews you've had since she was a supporter. Yeah. Basically my financial advisor. <laughs> so I, we, uh, when we were racing, well, when I, when we first got married, I was racing motocross. So that's all she knew until 2008 when I started doing track days yeah. and stuff. So she really welcomed going to the track and not getting dirty. <laughs> so, and then she found out, how expensive it was and we had kids you know we still have kids of course but <laughs> so, so raising a family and still trying to race was um it was tough it was kind of tough tough prior priorities or prioritizing yeah. what what we had to do um because we never did anything on a credit card we always we always made sure i saved everything during the winter to race the four or five times in the summer yep yeah. But that's what you have to do with family. So there's a lot of times that she reeled me back in because <laughs> I was like going way out, getting a little crazy. So because <laughs> that's what guys do, you know. <laughs> you just want to do all the rounds everywhere. And yeah. uh, sometimes the pocketbook doesn't allow it. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. This is team no debt racing over here. Um, I've I've I did put things on credit cards, but always paid them right off. I uh, never went over. And uh, that's why I stopped when I did, because I was like, oh, this isn't looking good. This is going the opposite direction. And, you know, even with 20 sponsors, it wasn't enough at the time. Uh, I mean, most of them are, as you know, parts and discounts and free stuff, which is nice. It really helps, but it doesn't you're not getting those six figure checks like you really would want. I was uh, I was getting local uh, businesses to give me give me money just to get signups and stuff like that because it's yeah. expensive back then it was a thousand dollars a weekend just for racing one class i mean it was getting down there sign up and the transponders all that stuff and then of course back then we didn't have a motor home or anything so we had to get get a uh, hotel, hotel room, hotel room yeah. and it's just it's expensive and it adds up quick and then oh, yeah. if you don't have good tires you're you're screwed pretty much and i never had really good tires so <laughs> <laughs> I, I had just a band right off the bat, but yeah, I, I, and uh, you know, a lot of times um, people go through multiple sets of tires every weekend, depending on how much they're racing. So I would always use like two rears and a front tire every every weekend, every three days. It's like, how often can I do this if I'm going through you know six hundred dollars in tires before you even get to your entry fees, and that's all before or assuming you don't crash. Yeah, or, or mechanicals or anything. Yeah. 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 For sure. So what's it like being someone who's not on the bike wondering, like, if is he going to come back? Is he going to crash? Like, were you always scared about the danger aspect or the more the financial aspect? Um, <laughs> uh, the danger aspect, not not so much. Um, there's no one that I trust more on a bike than this man that's um, fair he um 
I would, I would always say a prayer before a race and people would say, you know, oh, are, are you hoping he wins? And I said, no, I just want him home safe. Realistically, you know? we just want him to finish. <laughs> <laughs> just come home with a shiny bike. <laughs> no, um, he, he worked hard to save his money to do this. Yeah. Um, and, and the fact that we did not finance it um, was, was awesome. Um, because it's, you know, win or lose or yeah, whatever. She, she knew and I knew that there's no chance in hell I was ever going to like go anywhere. It was just for fun. Just a hobby. My passion. Yeah. And I was very thankful that she let me chase that passion. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, married people that do it that feel the same way. They're, I'm, I feel very lucky that I was able to do what I do. In fact, still feel very lucky that she lets me do what I do because look around us. <laughs> is this the man cave? This yes. is the music room. This is the music room. I gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It's not every couple is like that. Some of them are like, I don't want you to do that. You need to sell your motorcycle. I'm like, well, you're not the right one for me. But when we first started, when we knew we were getting married, I told her after the bat, we're always going to have a bike payment. Yeah. So <laughs> and uh does uh does Heather ride? Uh, not really. Not really. Ever uh ride on the back of it? Oh um yes. Um but not um yeah. I'd rather have something a little more comfortable to All right. Over, um, she wants like a couch to ride on. Yeah. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Take a nap, you know, so I need a full dresser, you know, something. Yeah. Um, yeah, the day yeah. I brought home my 08 R6, <laughs> she was she was pretty pissed. <laughs> she was, what the hell? I go, what? I go, we can ride this together. And you know how the pillion is. It's a little tiny. I mean, it's just a little bitty seat. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, they go over good. And yeah. uh, we went for a ride. We got dressed, went for a ride. And he accelerated, you know, kind of hard. And she almost slid off. I almost slid off and I reached back to grab something. There's nothing there. <laughs> this is a little so tiny I strap, right? That's about it. Yeah. And so I tapped him. I said, "We're going home now." Yeah, yeah, that's it. And uh, <laughs> I ever got back on it. Well, he didn't. No. Nope. Um, yeah, but see, to be fair, he was buying a bike for us. Yeah, that was my angle. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good pitch. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm the pit girl. Yeah. So we had to write down to science. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. I can understand that. You know, I I've rode on a a back the back of a bike only a handful of times, and uh, as a rider myself, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, oh, I wouldn't have taken that move. And it just like without having that control in your hands, it feels to me like I didn't think the other rider was a bad rider. I thought he was a pretty good rider, been riding for years. But I was like, 
oh, you know, that's <laughs> it made me so nervous because I'm like, I'm not in control. I can't do anything. I can't like talk to him, really. You can yell, but he might not even hear you. Um, so it's then, just, uh, yeah, you nope. just don't have that control. Uh, is uh, yeah. makes me nervous. No, I love to watch him ride and I'm, I'm, I'm content uh, just being the pit girl. She hasn't been to a motocross race mm. since 2019. Okay. And she's all right with it. Yeah. Like I said, that's yeah, what I'm we fine. did. I was like, I was racing quite a bit back then when we first got together. And everybody goes, well, how come Heather's not here? I go, she's done her time. She just, <laughs> she's done. She knows what it's about. 20 some years. Yeah. So when we started road racing, the first thing she goes, she said when we got home from one, she goes, I don't have any dust boogers. <laughs> I go, I know. It's... <laughs> no yeah, doubt. no, that is about if it's uh you have a, a shield on or a, a full face helmet and you got the goggles, but you still have this huge open face uh for wind and air that you don't quite have on a on a sport bike. And you know, I I've been riding my supermoto on the street um, on the highway. It hurts. Even when there's like little specks of dust or, or rocks flying up or, or the rain, it's like, it hurts to wear this helmet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Have you taken that to the track yet? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah the supermoto um, there's uh, a couple of tracks at Clio, Michigan, just North of Flint um, auto city speedway. There's um, Jackson, Michigan is a great one. Jackson has a cart track pavement. Um, it has a flat track oval and they have a motocross section that will just built for a great lake supermoto. And oh. so we've loop them all together into one and one lap. And uh, it's wild having three different disciplines of one lap. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. This is wild. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's a whole new beast. You need, need a different body position. Uh, we're all on slick tires or DOTs, so no knobbies are allowed because of the pavement. You just fall over if you try to have any sort of lean angle. Um, but yeah, I'm, I've been learning a lot. I did like four track days on that bike this year and uh, did a few last year on Will's bike and other bikes. Uh, he's got a Husqvarna 450, the, the FS 450 full send. He's got the Cowie 250 and the, uh, yeah, like an XR 100. But uh Mine is the Kawasaki KLX 300 Supermoto. So it's technically a 292cc. They round up to 300. Um, but it's a pretty capable bike. I bought it to do the MSF, Motorcycle Safety Foundation Coaching. So oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a coach for them now. And uh, That's what I do when I retire. That's my mm -hmm. retirement job. Yeah, it's a pretty cool job. I did, I think, eight weekends this year. And I got an award for... The most amount of classes taught by a 22 graduate writer uh, for the class. So did the most amount for anybody who did that, who got certified this year. So I never thought I'd be a public school teacher, but I'm employed by Macomb Community College and Schoolcraft Community College for that. Um, nice. So just I got, uh, a, I got a buddy that does that in at Saginaw and he yeah. always has great stories for me. <laughs> oh, there's some crazy riders there that it's like, oh my goodness, you sh you should, you maybe pass the test, but I don't think you should go out riding yet. You're like, you still have to be, you're, I say to them, you're parking lot certified. You're, you shouldn't go out on the highway and go 80 miles an hour. Although some people then claim, well, 
when you're on the highway, everybody's going the, the same direction. Hopefully um, everybody's like generally doing the same thing. There's not cars coming in and out at intersections. So yeah, you're right there, but you can, things co- go by a lot faster at 80 miles an hour than they do at 20. So uh, yeah, I'd recommend it. It's a cool gig. Um, it's totally different than uh, racetrack stuff. Obviously you're not really getting out of second gear. A lot of the bikes are kind of clapped out kind of like, They've been down 50 times and it looks like it. Um, and so as long as the throttle is not sticking, the brakes work, they're like, all right, it, it's good. <laughs> I was going to help Daryl and a couple years ago, help him get him ready to get, so he, they could use him for that one spring. But uh, yeah, and it didn't end up going, but he told me they're pretty rough. I go, well, yeah. I get your bikes. I, go, I get it. <laughs> and I say, if you can ride this, you can ride anything because most bikes are going to be a lot easier than this to ride. But they they have like some some Nighthawks, some two fifty Nighthawks, Hondas. They have uh, what is the brand? Uh, the Z one twenty five Kawasaki. It's like the Gram equivalent. Um, and I would say it seems like um, on paper the Z one twenty fives would be a great bike to learn on, but I don't think they are because the clutch is such a small window of operation that it's people. It's so far out, and then when it gets to start to pull then it's just people drop it and then they stall the bike a hundred times. So it's hard for people to, to get where that clutch bite is. Um, I started out, um, what is it? 16 years ago or so on a, my dad's probably 17 years on my dad's Kimeco people 250 scooter. It was oh, okay. a CVT. It, it went like 87 miles an hour. It was not slow. It was pretty quick for a scooter. Um, and, uh, and then it would start to just shake a whole lot because it's, it doesn't have a lot of stability, but, um, it was like, you step through, you put your feet in front. Um, I rode that for two years. I rode his bike. I rode it probably more than he rode it. And then, uh, I upgraded to a Ninja 250, which finally had the clutch. And, uh, I think that's a great bike to start on. Now they're probably the Ninja 300s, Ninja 400s would be my, my go-to bike, um, What's your thought on people starting on anything bigger than a lightweight bike? Okay, so <clears throat> my opinion of the classes using those little little Z one twenty five. I don't think that's right. I think they should have full full size wheels. Yeah, my, yeah. Uh, as far I know, like other comp- countries, they they you got to like graduate up to different bikes, different sizes bike in your driver's license, whatever. I think it works. Yeah, I think there's like a graduated licensing program in in Europe. I think that should be something that should, in my opinion, is they, they need to maybe incorporate that here. Yeah. There's a lot of road that, that should, should be right, man. They're pretty bad. Yeah. And it's not that you can't learn or get better, but when you start out on a Jixer 1000 or a Hayabusa, you're just asking for trouble. It's like you have a, a, a bike that's as fast as a Ferrari with mm-hmm. no fucking skill at all. And you don't know what you're doing and you think you're hot shit. And it's like, that's just not good. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who can handle it, but from my experience, you will learn a lot faster on a smaller bike than you will on a bigger bike. You just, when are you going to need to go 180 miles an hour on the street? Yeah. Right. It's, you never... I don't, I can speak for my, myself on this. I went a long time without even having a cycle endorsement. Yeah. That's pretty common now. Um, we have people come all the time. I taught somebody, got his license. He's been riding for seven years, riding dirty on the street. 
Like, how did you not get pulled over? Like, how did <laughs> how did you do this? At a motorcycle dealership, but never had my endorsement. Wow. So yeah, it was it was time. I go, man, I better go. And actually, I rode my bike up to the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, not ideal. And um, the stats are not good. I think in Michigan, it depends on the year, but 30 to 50% of the fatalities from motorcycles are from unlicensed riders. Oh my God. It's very high. So, and it's not like it's super expensive or a hard thing to do. Like the MSF course, I took it. That's how I learned. Um, So maybe I'm a little biased, but um, it's like a three day weekend. You do a classroom on Friday and now it's an e-course. So it's all done pretty much online. And then you come in and what I did is teach in the parking lot Saturday, Sunday, where you, we go through a, um, uh, acclimation with the bike. We go through all the controls, we, you know, this is where the horn is, everything. This is the kickstand, like basic stuff. And then you get on the bike and we teach you how to ride and we do drills. It's like $50. When I did it, it was $25. And now it's only 50, 15 years later. Um, it's amazing how cheap it is. And I did, I did the one day course, whatever, or the morning was the classroom and the afternoon was all the out in the parking lot stuff. Yeah. So they knew me and used me as an example. So I had to do everything first for everybody. Yeah. We always try to pick somebody who's uh, a good rider, put them in front because it's amazing. We, we talk about it. Like we have a diagram in front of us, reading off our cards. Like we, we talk about the exercise, then we demo the exercise and then they do the exercise and then people just get lost. I'm like, were you not paying attention? Like, <laughs> and then they're like eighth or ninth in line. All these people went before them and they're like, where do I go? Like, oh, this is not going to be a good student. <laughs> now, do you think that the fatalities are more on the rider side or on a vehicle? So uh, one of the things we say in the program is, you are your own best advocate. You are the only person out on the road who's going to be able to save your life. Um, so I would say probably 90% of the time motorcycles crash and it's a, uh, especially at the racetrack. I don't know about the street, but for the racetrack, for sure, it's almost hundred percent of the time. It's a one rider incident, right? The rider makes a mistake and they crash. I could probably say the same thing for the road too, but now you got all these different variables in place. So I think a lot of it is um, people not knowing what to do or knowing uh, like defensive driving techniques is a big one that I see, or people will, will even in cars, they'll just drive in someone's blind spot for miles. I'm like, why would you do that? They don't understand. Like if I would rather get a ticket any day of the week for speeding and to getting get out of those blind spot situations than to stay in someone's blind spot for more than a half a second. Um, and so people aren't paying attention maybe, or they're not seeing a car that's sideways, like creeping out of a, uh, a driveway and they, they're just looking over here. They didn't think that was a problem. And then they pull out and a lot of these riders aren't skilled enough to know how to brake fully or swerve in the right way. So their skills are low and they're taking high risks is a big one. I used to ride in big, big groups, you know, big group rides with sport bikes. And that just gets crazy in a heartbeat because everybody's trying to show off and showboat and do wheelies. And then your wheels up three feet and the car pulls out. Now, what are you going to do? 
Now you don't have any other choice. It's very unlikely you're going to save that. Um, so I was never a big stunter on the street. I've tried to go in parking lots and, you know, industrial complexes and do that stuff away from the prying eyes of everybody. But yeah, I think most of the time it's the rider's fault. Now there's, I've been riding, I couldn't tell you thousands and thousands of miles, most of them on the track now, but, um, I did get hit by a car one time riding my motorcycle. Um, and it was, I was going up to, up to school. It was probably five miles from my house. That's where most crashes happen. Right. Um, and I was paying attention, but it was cold. It was like a, I just reposted it. It was like 12 years ago. Um, it came up in my memories on Facebook. Um, but I was in the the right-hand lane. It was a four lane road with a separated median and four lanes going the other way. Guy was in the lane next to me up ahead of me and, uh, note signal. He decides to pull into the, into the CVS parking lot. And I'm sort of in his, I was behind him, not really in the blind spot, but didn't look at all. And I had nowhere to go. And uh, it was a big SUV. Luckily, I didn't go down. I broke as much as I could. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'm following him to the, following him into the parking lot and uh, dented his door in pretty good with my knee. But um, I didn't fall down. He kept going. He pulled into the, into the, the parking lot and then saw I didn't die and then took off. And then, uh, so I'm like, I'm not following a guy. I'm not going to chase this guy down who just hit me once. What, what's he going to do the second right. time he sees me. Right. So I just kind of let it go. And I was like checking over the damage on my bike and it's just a mirror, you know, got pushed in and some body work was a little scratched up, but it was, uh, it could have been a lot worse. And, uh, at that time I had been riding on the track and I knew how to brake hard and, and turn and like not overload the front tire. I could have been underneath the SUV very okay. easily. So okay. it happens quick. What's that? That on your Ninja 250? That was, I upgraded, I think that was on the 636, the Cowie oh. 636, uh, probably 06 at that time. Um, We're fast. It was a fast, yeah, it was a fast bike. And uh, I really stopped riding on the street not long after that. Um I got in trouble with speeding quite a bit and uh, found out that at a certain speed, they don't just give you a ticket. They take you straight to jail. <laughs> so, yeah, well, it was considered, uh, well, they said it was reckless, but I knew what I was doing. Uh, <laughs> I hope you didn't argue that with them. No, no, they said. Uh, it must have been reckless. I tell how I tell it most of the time now is like they, they clocked me at 77 over. In the 70. Um, okay. So I usually say, I say 77 and I, uh, they say they really, they took you to jail for 77. No, 77 over. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I wouldn't recommend doing that. I still see guys on, on social media posting videos of them flying through the road all the time. Like why? Like one thing I think about a lot is like, sometimes you go to the racetrack even in advance. And you're like, what is this guy doing? Okay. This is a guy who's been to the track for probably a dozen times to get to that level and pretty skilled. Now you have people on the street who don't know nothing about this track or how to go fast or how to be safe. And you're whizzing by them, uh, over 70 miles an hour faster, um, where they could just make a mistake. They're texting. That's so prevalent now. It's like you see so many people on their phone or eating a cheeseburger 
or eating soup. I'm like, what are you doing doing that? <laughs> yeah. It's wild. Yeah. I just a take a lot of crap like that. It drives me crazy. You're just putting your life at risk and uh someone makes a tiny mistake and swerves over and you're gone. Uh a person I just was talking to getting on this podcast literally just died like two days ago. Um and she got hit by a truck and oh. that's it. And it's like, oh man, I was I was I just talked to her like a week ago. Oh man. So that's it fun. it sucks. Um I I never met her, but um things happen all the time if you're not super careful. And even if you think you know what you're doing, you're a track racer, try to do it on the street. You don't have the same heat in your tires. You don't have, you know, the same runoff. Um, I always say, take it to the track. Yep. Yeah. I got a buddy that used to race and actually helped me get started <clears throat> race, road racing. He's really big into touring right now. And he uh, came up this past summer and he's got a new FJR 1300 and all that. So I took him for a ride. And I, I go down the road and I feel like all the co the cars are aiming for me. It's like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. that's a nice boy, dude. I go, I'm not riding it. Again. Yeah. I'm done. I won't get on the road well, any, any longer. I, you know, I'm a little bit, um, excited for, uh, autonomous vehicles taking over all the idiots who are behind the wheel because they say it could help save 30,000 lives a year. And if you have computers driving, I mean, computers never crash, right? Yeah. <laughs> never. Yeah. But it should be better. I think it's going to be better, I hope. Well, I, you know, it, it can't, can't hurt. It can't <laughs> no. get worse. I don't think it's going to be worse. <laughs> but that's for another 20 years. That's not really happening anytime soon. And I think Tesla even put out a statement like they took back one of the options for full self-driving cars. It's, I don't think they, they found that it's going to be harder than they thought to, to make it full self-driving. So yeah, there are like, my, my uncle has a car who it's like a, I don't know, a Ford escape or something. It's an SUV hatchback type of car. And uh, it's, it's got like lane change assist. It'll, if you're coming over, it'll be, it'll push you back. It's got okay. all yeah. these different um, electronic aids. It's got like this cruise control where it's an ad adaptive cruise. So it'll speed up or slow down based on the cars in front of you. It's like, you're just, you're just along for the ride at that point. Pretty much. <laughs> so I fall asleep and drop a hat in a car. So that just makes me want to sleep even more. <laughs> oh, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day. Um, so, so when you uh, Las Vegas, are you still going to do your podcast and all that? Or? Yeah, I'm going to try to still do the podcast. Um, you know, schedules are going to change and the times I do it are going to change. But um, yeah, the goal is to keep doing it once a week until I die, basically. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's something that doesn't really cost any money. I have, I've had this mic for a while, just got it hooked up finally. Um, you know, I'm kind of disappointed. I have a, uh, a pretty nice camera behind my this camera. And I can't get it to work right because uh, apparently you need a HDMI capture card, which I bought, and it, it'll work for like 60 seconds and then die on me. So um, I just bought a new one. It's coming tomorrow, um, and I got to return the old one. It's only like $20, so maybe that's why it's not working right. Uh, I, bought, I bought the cheapest one I could find. But um, but yeah, the, the costs are relatively low. 
uh, I'm starting to get ad revenue. I'm starting to make money doing it. I mean, pennies, but uh, it's, it's, it's going up. Um, I think maybe 20, $30 I've made so far on ads. So um, it's a small amount, but um, well, I just been at it for, I mean, you had pretty persistent. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Good. One a week for the last uh, two and a half years or so. Um, you know, 120, 120th episode. I hope I'm getting better at speaking as I stutter right there. Okay. But, um, and one thing I'm trying to get into now is, uh, now that I have the good mic and audio interface set up is, um, doing narration or audiobook reading and like voiceovers. So I did my first audition. I didn't get it, but it was just for an audiobook. And, uh, they pay pretty well if you get the part, like you have to, get chosen for that for that piece but i'm sure one one of these times one of my auditions i'll, I'll get it and sometimes it's like 50 50 to like 400 an hour um sometimes like you have to be editing and splicing it together and i was doing it and like oh i had a great paragraph and that last i the last word i screwed it up i gotta redo the whole thing you know so it's like, it has to be perfect right if if you're doing it for a paid thing some of the gigs are like commission based. So they'll pay you X amount. And then based on how well the book sells, you get more money for that. Um, I don't know. I'd love to do broadcasting for, for racing, motorcycle racing or car racing. But uh, I think that's such a hard thing to get into. Um, I did interview or podcast with Jamie Howe, who's a reporter for Moto America. Um, and she sent me like this internship link for NBC or ABC or maybe Fox. I don't know. I think it's Fox. Um, and so that's like an unpaid gig. I'm like, I can't do that. I can't afford to just volunteer my time for six to eight months or a year to maybe get a job. So I'm trying to create my own job by putting myself out there first and uh, seeing what opportunities I can find. I think being out, uh, out in the Las Vegas area, that will give you a better opportunity to find things like that or maybe, I mean, uh, I'm just going to keep doing it until like for me, um, you know, I podcasted with a guy, Dustin Apgar, who, uh, who passed away. And it's like, I'm so happy that I was able to talk to him and, and have that recorded. It's like a, a moment in time that you can never get back to. And so I look back on some of my podcasts from over two years ago and I was like, wow, I didn't know what I was doing back then. And like five years from now, I think that about myself today, you know, and I just hope I get, get better and uh that people are still listening that's a big thing like trying to get the retention up and uh i've been just uh just trying to go down different rabbit holes because now with these these two jobs it's like i need something in the meantime that doesn't tie me down to any one place so this is another thing that i can do that won't uh, force me to be in one area so i don't know what the opportunities are in Vegas. I know it's close to California and there's tons of acting and things in California. And it's basically, yeah, it's uh, it's basically like a voice acting position because sometimes they want you to do, can you do an accent or can you do funny voices? I'm like, I don't know. I've never really tried to do those. I just want to speak in my regular voice. But um, if you're reading a book and there's different characters, you might have to do different voices. Oh yeah. And that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like you're playing around, but um your words have to be perfect. And you, and I was reading like the audition before and I skipped the word the, I'm like, Oh no, I was just glancing, glancing over it too fast. So you got to like know the material and then read it. So I might be doing a lot of reading. 
That's cool, man. That that's awesome. That's really interesting. Yeah, some something new. I'm just trying to go down these roads, and I never was one to want to have like a normal job. Um, it's just, I mean, I'm good at it. I can I can be a good office worker. It's just that's not where my passion lies. That's not what makes me happy at, at the end of the day. So I'm trying to find things I can do that I enjoy, things that um, are fun to do, um, and just see what roads I can go down, all these different rabbit holes. That's cool. You know, life is short. You, you're doing it right, I think. I mean, you're Absolutely. doing it all. All this experience, you're getting life experience I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You know, I got something over here. Um, I'll grab it real quick. I did a I did a podcast uh, with a guy Jason Wojo um, of Life and Air, and uh, he gave me he sent me these uh, cards. I don't know if you can see it. Thanks for being on the on the Life and Air show. Oh. And I'm like, man, I don't do stuff like this. He sent me a sticker pack. I'm like, I need to start uh, up in my game on the thank yous for my guests. But yeah, he gave me like a Life and Air stickers and oh. uh, a T-shirt and and. Uh, this is crazy. He gave me uh get a life getaway. Unfortunately, I, I have other things going on. I won't be able to attend, but as uh, he has conferences and um, it's for creating the life you really want. Uh, this one's get a life getaway. And the other one's a business builder workshop tickets. Um, and they're like a thousand bucks a piece. I got oh. four of them. Um, but uh, one's in Raleigh, North Carolina, December 8th through the 10th. And the other one was October 20th to 22nd in Dallas. Um, but he's got a business. I met him at the racetrack of all things, just from talking to people. And uh, yeah, we were just talking about what we were doing at lunchtime. And and he's like, man, I got to get this guy on my podcast. So he came on mine and then I wanted on his. And uh, you can see it at lifeandair.com, I think it is. And uh, he just tries to build other people, their life of their dreams. Like what is your ideal life look like? And then, well, how do we make, make a business help fund that lifestyle? It's like most people think about a business and then their lifestyle comes secondary, but his is kind of the opposite. And he calls it life and air because it's like millionaire, but you don't need to have a million dollars to have a good life. So you kind of replace it with life and air. Um, so it's like, what kind of life are you having? Is that the ideal life you want to have? So um, he sent me a book as well that he wrote and his, and his partner, Peter, I think. So, um, I'm just trying to instill that kind of idea or that, you know, that lifestyle. I don't, you don't need to have a million dollars to have a good life, but like, what are you doing on a daily basis that you enjoy? And, and with you, I see like the music and your SoundCloud stuff. So I wanted to talk about, you know, your music too, because I was just listening to some of it. it sounds pretty good. Yeah. It's a, it's some of it's okay, some of it isn't. That's all right. That's you know, you know, you just gotta stop filtering yourself. I know I do too. Like you say, oh, this isn't good enough. I'm not gonna put it out there, but then no one can hear it. It can't get better if you don't have a finished product first. Right. So I I've been playing guitar since I was like 13 years old. Okay. Playing a couple bands in my early uh, my late teens, early 20s, and got to the point where where we live it's very cliched in some ways the the clicks so the people i was jamming with they were going uh a route that i didn't want to go i was i'm a heavy metal guy always been a heavy metal guy and i love heavy heavy music yeah 
And I wanted to play some songs that some of the guys in the band said, well, we, we'll never be able to play those in bars. I go, well, and, and but right around that time is when I really started getting into race and motocross. So I just, later dudes, I'm doing this. And that's what I did. And I've always had a guitar. It's just, uh, I don't know, once, once the girls moved out, in fact, this is my youngest daughter's old bedroom. <laughs> so everything came out of our bedroom and came up here. So Nice. And then, you know, they're not here, and she, she works a lot more now than she always has. So let's come up here and throw some ideas out and put them on SoundCloud. That's kind of what SoundCloud's there for, is just to keep my ideas. And Yeah, it's fun. It's... I mean, it's kind of, it's a personal thing to me. Playing music is personal, so. Oh, yeah. You, you put a lot of emotion and time and effort into it. So, actually, me putting it on the SoundCloud was kind of a big step. It's like, man, I don't want to hear this crap. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad you did, man. It's, it inspires other people. It inspires me. Um, I'm actually really big into music myself. I was in, I think I had my first guitar at about 13 years old. Um, I was went through the whole band system in middle school, high school. I did concert band playing the trumpet and uh, I did jazz band. I did concert uh, marching band. Um, I did piano and I played like pretty much every instrument that there was from brass and woodwind I dabbled with. I did everything but percussion, really. And so years later in college, I, I mean, I was playing guitar mostly acoustic. I had electric, but, you know, trying to be quiet in the dorm rooms and all that. So uh, I, I transferred more over to the acoustic. I was never a crazy soloist, but um, I, I think it's, you know, great to hear. Um, just wasn't ever that talented. But I could pick up a song pretty much in five minutes if uh, I had a good good ear. Um, I did choir and I took singing lessons and a guitar theory and um, song and songwriting classes. I even got to uh, do logic music production, editing and producing um, some of that stuff. So I wrote a whole bunch of songs myself and um, I have never put them out there. They're just sitting in a file somewhere, just doing nothing, collecting dust. So um, but if, if, if we would listen, hell yeah, we'd listen to it, put it out there, man. Yeah. yeah so uh, I just posted about it the other day. Would you listen to it? And I got like, 67 percent yes so i mean there's only maybe a handful of people who replied but it was positive so um so yeah i think uh i've actually already put it into like a the 10 song album format with like the tracks that i want in order so i think i'm going to put it on my youtube channel or and spotify if not um so i mean it's already on spotify through the podcast but it's oh, it um well the podcast is already on Spotify, so I could easily put it on the podcast um, part, but I'd like to separate it in like Eric Swan's album or something, you know? Yeah, that's cool, man. Heck yeah. So, it's so it's nerve wracking, though. It's like, oh, I don't know. Is this good? Like, my voice isn't great. Like, <laughs> I'm off tempo a couple of times, but like, I don't have the software anymore to even re-record it. I have different software. I could I could mess with it, but that one had like all different drum tracks and sounds that I could use and I don't have that package anymore. So it's just, it is what it is. I'm not re-recording it for now. I just put mine in through GarageBand. It's probably about the easiest one out there. Easiest yeah. Answer. Yeah. But our, my my plan is that I want to start recording with her because she's got a great voice. That'd be cool. Get a little duo going. Yeah, I have a couple of things that I want to 
want to do and and some ideas of music that I'd like him to write. Um, we don't have any kids at the house anymore, so we got all this. <laughs> Heck yeah. But the dogs do not like the drums. No. <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. I always have to uh, lock my cat upstairs when I do these because otherwise she's meowing. And sometimes like I hear her at the door. Or scratching or even meowing right over there. So it's like, oh, it's not ideal. But you do with what you got. And sometimes if you have that barking, it's like iconic. It's like it was meant to be there. It just it, it's not perfect. There's always blemishes. And even on like major productions um for major artists they even say like oh i missed that note here or like nobody cares like it's not supposed to be perfect right but we yeah. care right we want it to be perfect so you you were in the band system all the way through school right i did uh fifth grade through 10th grade and then sports and hockey took over and i didn't do it 11th and 12th but um yeah for six years i was in band and my brother was a big inspiration or is still in different ways. He's he went through DCI drum corps international, which is uh it's like professional marching band. He traveled the country for five years, um, playing shows like every other night with this core. Oh. And uh, it's a fairly intense thing. Um, he did Capitol regiment and the Madison scouts were the two cores that he did um, regiment, I think for one year and then the scouts for the last four so uh he was a very talented musician and i was kind of always bummed he didn't go into music as a career uh he played the mellophone and the trumpet and uh, i'm sure all the brass instruments at some point but both our dogs were uh in band all through high school and grade school and they're very very musical very they got out of school and psh, gone nothing yeah unless you like you know i wanted to go into music and like be an artist for a while in college like i was getting really good at the guitar and playing every single day for an hour or two or more and uh i was like and trying to do this recording stuff and the recording classes and at some point i was like it seems like such a hard career to make it like to really make it and make it a career it's like i don't, I don't know that my passion is that hard into it i mean i love it but it just seems so difficult so i chose something even harder uh, motorcycle racing. <laughs> yeah. You know who uh, kind of inspired me it, to put my own music out was Lance Lau. You know who Lance is, right? Yeah. He put a bunch of music out, and uh, it was really good. I, I dug the hell out of it. I actually messaged him about two or three weeks ago. Are you still making music? He goes, yeah, but I'm just too busy. So it was pretty cool. He put it out. He put it on uh, Instagram, and and everybody, you know, listened to it and comment on it it was cool it was yeah cool. yeah so i'd like to find another avenue where i can just put an album out there at, uh on spotify or something or it'll definitely be a youtube video at some point um i don't really have a music video that goes with it so it'll just be like a a picture or something at the background but my soundcloud songs yeah <laughs> and yeah i was like i was uh trying to find all these pictures of me playing the guitar playing an instrument I was like man these are so long ago i can't even find a photo of me holding the guitar <laughs> yeah i got a, i got a buddy that i used to race motocross with that is a professional musician oh yeah and when i started getting into it again he i, I would send him send him like little clips and stuff and he'd tell me 
on how to mix it better because that's that's an art all in itself is just trying to get the production and that was something that i found was so tedious that was something that kind of strayed me away from it because uh i was like man you are never really done with a song like right. it, it could always have another tweak or another like make that filler a little louder or make another sound effect over here and so i always found myself like i never know when it's done like it could still have another month of work like just finish it and move on <laughs> what i learned is usually the first first two or three tri takes is the ones that you just keep yeah if it doesn't sound good don't do anything with it just leave it <laughs> yeah maybe move on to the next track and come back to it in a couple of days it's fun i i it's uh I'll come up here and it's just stress relief. Get me, get my head in a different area. So, and I'm glad that she lets me, you know, because there's a lot of times I go, I'm going to go play my guitars for a little bit. She goes, good. <laughs> yeah. And I love how, uh, even if, if I'm not playing all the time, I can still play like 90% of the things that I did before. Cause that muscle memory is just so ingrained in your, in your mind. Um, your finger just know where to go. And it's like speaking, like at some point you're just doing it and you're not thinking about what you're doing. And it's yep. like, it's kind of like same thing with writing. It's like, you can't really focus on anything else. You have to be focused on what you're doing. And so it does, it is that release. It is like uh, getting your mind off of things because you just, you, you, you have to. That was, that was uh, one of the things that I, I told Heather was that, cause I just bought a drum set. I just, okay. I can't play drums to save my ass, but my dad was a <laughs> professional drummer back in the day and, like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. So I just started trying to play it, and it, it's not that great. <laughs> it takes a while. A challenge, you know, it's a challenge that, and it's improving every day. Yeah, it's like when you first started playing guitar, it probably wasn't very good uh, for a while, and then you get slowly, slowly better. That's it. Yeah, I remember <laughs> first guitar was just a pile of crap tent. Okay, that from my uh, a buddy, and it only had two strings on it. I didn't know how to, I just two. <laughs> Sounded cool. And I plugged it into my stereo. <laughs> that was my There app. you go. Yeah, it's um I have a I've had a couple of Tekka minis. Um I had a couple of Schecters and uh Yeah, one Schecter I had for sale about what two or three years ago on there and I was actually wanted to buy it and we sold it already. Yeah. Um actually I still have that one. That one was a well, it might have been a different one. I had a bass I sold for my cousin. Um, I'm not sure what brand that was. But one of the Schecters that I, I had for sale, um, something must have happened on my shelf because I went to – somebody bought it. I went to ship it. I was like, oh, no, it's got, like, a big chip in it now. So uh, I sent them pictures. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, it's been on my shelf for a year and a half. I'm not sure how this got damaged. But he's like, ah, just refund me. So I, I kept it. And uh, – I mean, it's it's uh, it's one of my first guitars ever, so I never really wanted to sell it, but another couple hundred bucks, I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll see what happens. So I got a very very nice guitar. Yeah, I have. I think it's a Hot Rod Thirty Nine with Diamond Edition with like the pearl inlay. It's got like flames through the the fretboard. Looks pretty oh, yeah. nice. Even with the crack, you can't even really see it. It's on the backside. <laughs> and. They're supposed to be smashed, right? Sometimes at the end of a heavy metal concert, you get a little guitar smashing. <laughs> oh, those are expensive. <laughs> <laughs> well, not when you're selling out arenas. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, Heather goes, how many do you got? I go, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many I got. <laughs> Everyone sounds different and plays different. And it's, 
just like motorcycles every every bike's different no oh, yeah something different does something better does you know so, and, and they all have their own unique style and sound and uh you know i had uh, at one point uh, electric acoustic ukulele oh really that was kind of cool you could plug it in it was a lanakai i think it was it was like a pretty nice one um and uh, i ended up selling that one that one didn't did not get damaged But uh, that is nerve wracking, like shipping it across the country. Like, oh, man, I hope it, the box stays intact. And like boxes are only so strong. Yeah, we uh, me and Heather had COVID last February and I ordered a, a guitar from a place in Georgia. And I had to tell her, of course, and it came in. She was, what the hell is this? I go, nothing. Pull it out. And all these peanuts go all over the place. And I get the evil eye, of course. And, but it was that was that one time. <laughs> He gets evil eyed a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, tell me about some of your musical influences. Who are, who are some of the people that you listen to that you want to try to emulate? Uh, my dad, big big time. You know, he played he played in uh, like a big band band back in the day. So my dad died what eleven years ago, twelve twelve years ago. And uh, yeah, he he did that. He he was. He worked for Michigan Bell, and he was the first person in Michigan to hook up a touch touchstone phone. Oh yeah, wow! So he retired from Michigan Bell and moved up here. And let me back up a little bit. So he played off. I remember being living in Utica and watching him band play in the basement. Yeah. So when he they moved up here, obviously he wasn't making as much money because we're living up north. So he would play gigs to supplement. The funds and you know help family out, but yeah, he's my number one. Just the kind of music that he played, and he was taught. He had lessons from Gene Krupa. I don't know if you know who that is. I'm not familiar. Look him up on YouTube. He's like uh, Buddy Rich, you know, just the old school like big bands. Uh, great drummer. You know? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, just that that style of music is. I just love it. It's just takes me home you know warm fuzzy feelings <laughs> for sure so yeah that led zeppelin big zeppelin fan big slayer fan of course Campbell yeah. Corp. heck yeah yes i love old kiss a lot of good stuff there what else Beatles. oh yeah Beatles. I, you know i like stuff that just takes a little bit of intelligence to make and i'm not a big radio person yeah Yeah, I feel like the radio is dead for me because yeah. uh, there's so many commercials and like they play the same songs over and over and over. And uh, I used to listen to 89X. Yeah, it's it's just they want the top songs only and nothing else because you'll switch switch it off, they think. I remember my brother telling me, he goes, you know, they call it classic rock, but there's a lot of classic rock out there. Why do they play the same classic rock? You know? Yeah, and then it's overplayed and like you don't want to hear it anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, near me in Metro Detroit, I grew up with 89X, the new rock alternative. And uh, they sold the station and it's now country. So I was like, oh, no, that was like the only station I listened to. So I can't even turn on the radio anymore. <laughs> But that's how it goes. So I just do Spotify now and um, listen to stuff that way. I feel a little uh, guilty because... I don't think that a lot of the money goes to the artists anymore. In fact, if you listen, if yeah. you listen to interviews on some of that, you know, you listen to interviews with uh, musicians, they, it's like a dying, dying career, unfortunately. 
Yeah, they make money from merchandise sales and um, and touring, and uh, it's a tough way to do it. Um, I used to buy tons of CDs, but now I can buy, you know, for $10, I can have all of the CDs, um, which is better for the consumer, but yeah, it's terrible for the artists. They make like 0. 0.003 pennies uh, for 10,000 listens. So it's, yeah. it's very difficult. Um, That's just, I just started buying CDs again. There you go. Dude, I'm going to buy CDs. I got a CD player in my motor van. So you know what? So I started, I started collecting live CDs. So live recordings. Yeah. But finding some of them ones that I used to have on tape way back when is kind of tough, but it's kind of cool when I find them. For sure. You know, I just went to, uh, I'm a huge concert goer. I've seen over a hundred bands live, probably more than way more than that. But um, I mean, you go to one show, there might be four bands. Um, but, uh, you know, openers, you might not know of too much, but time, time as it goes throughout the night, get closer to the headliners, you usually know more of the bands and um, maybe you look up one of the openers and start to like them too. And uh, I went to Grand Rapids with my brother and saw some pretty heavy music and uh, it was a great time. Like my brother was like, it's not really my cup of tea, but I'll go and hang out. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of moshing going on. There wasn't a whole lot of crowd surfing. I was surprised. Um, but uh, it was attack, attack with exclamations after each attack. Um, so it, it, they really haven't played in a while. Um, they kind of went away, but um, rejoined for another another go at it for another tour. And, and uh, you post a lot of bands that are very underground. Like I've never heard of them before. Yeah, I have a very unique taste of music. Um, like I, I don't listen to the radio, so you go down these rabbit holes of music. You're like, Oh, I like that artist. What about this one that he's related to that one? Let me check that one out. And yep. uh, you end up finding stuff you really do love. And it's not like Katy Perry or Taylor Swift, you know, it's like <laughs> what, what you like, you know, not to say that those are bad. Those, they, they have their time and place. Yep. Yep. But uh, I wanted to ask you um, one of my, I wrote down a few questions. I don't usually write down questions, but where do you think up north starts for Michigan? Up north starts at West Branch. West Branch, that's the 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 eliminator, that's the separator. Yep, because it's an hour fifty like fifty seven minutes from West Branch to here, and from West Branch north, there's nothing on I seventy five. Pine trees, you get to look at trees. That's it. I like when it um when it changes to seventy five miles an hour. Yes. Then you can go yeah. eighty five, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so the the place I work for, they have GPS on their trucks. Oh so, no. So uh, unfortunately, if you speed, of course, then the the boss gets the alert and all that stuff. So when I get in my own truck or vehicle or whatever, it's kind of nice to uh, open it up a little bit. Of course, yeah, some sure. guys that I used to ride with that, that I would drive down to the track with would probably say that I'm lying because I usually went under the speed limit to keep my gas mileage low yeah we ever gonna get here i go we have <laughs> 24 miles a gallon right now dude so fun <laughs> i can't drive 55 <laughs> um yeah it does help your gas mileage but i'm like my time is valuable too i want to get there as fast as possible um so uh how many uh how many bikes are in the stable right now would you say uh i just got another project uh just just the other day oh, let me think what uh one i still got my gsxr okay 
I did I did take it up the road once last summer. Um, so I got that. My 94 125 that I rebuilt. My 08 KTM. My 18 450. My 21 YZ250. And I got an RD2200. So what, seven? All right, that's pretty good. Picked up a 97 CR125 basket case. That's, man, it's in rough shape. <laughs> I started pulling apart tonight and I posted a bunch of pictures on Instagram. So everybody will probably get sick of seeing all my rebuild posts and stuff. But yeah, I did. Uh, I think the last time I talked to you, I was still working on my 94 trying to get that one back together. And that, that thing turned out. <laughs> that bike is beautiful it's really turned out nice i i bought that or i i'm sorry i bought my new yz250 right around the time that i got my my 94 cr125 running okay that 125 that old bike more than my new bike yeah so Heck much yeah. fun there you go and what kind of dog you got in the background uh we got a uh, rough cut collie all right Sheltie Collie. Nice. Went the Collie route. Yes. Yep. The little uh, little Sheltie is my little buddy. That dog, I've never been like a big dog person, but that little dog stole my damn heart. <laughs> yeah. They tend to do that. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's my buddy. We do everything together. I've always wanted a dog, but I travel too much to, uh, to warrant having one. So one of these days, uh, if I ever settle down, I either hire someone to watch it or I'll, I'll get a dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah one year we were gonna get when i was a kid probably elementary middle school like i have always wanted one so you know beat my parents up can we get one can we get one and then uh we were looking into one we we went to the store and looked at dogs and then uh christmas time came around and we got rabbits it's like oh yeah. <laughs> that's i mean it's furry and fluffy and it has pointy ears but uh and some rabbits, I guess, are really cool, and they come up to you and and like want to play or want to be pet. But these, we had like a, I don't know, they one was a pointy ear, one was like a floppy ear. I don't know the the brand or the the breed, but um, they just wanted to run and hide and run, go under the couch and poop in the corner. I'm like, oh, this is not great. <laughs> They're so skittish, like very uh, very scared, scaredy cat. We had one rabbit one time when when the girls were young, but it was in the cage most of the time. It just didn't didn't make sense. So, yeah, back with cat and dog route. <laughs> yeah, and uh, unfortunately, my my the coolest cat I ever had, Ninja. He's no longer here. He got he got hit by a car. Unfortunately, he was an indoor outdoor cat, and uh, he just probably jumped in front of a car or something, and uh, went splat. But uh, I waited a few months, and I got a new cat, uh, Luna. I just pretty much call her kitty, but, uh, I got, so I got a new kitty and she's, she used to be very skittish. Like she would just hide in the corner and same thing. Maybe it's just me. I don't know, but, <laughs> but, uh, she's coming around. She's getting more used to things and, uh, climbing the cat tree. And, uh, it's just nice to have a little furry, furry creature running around. Little buddy. You can take him out to, uh, Vegas with you. I guess that's the idea. I'd, I don't plan on getting rid of her. So uh, um, I guess you uh, put her on an airplane or I probably when I make my my main move, take her that way and drive out there. I don't know how I'm going to do that yet. It's like, what am I, what do I have to get rid of? What do, what am I not taking with me? It's like I have a whole house full of stuff now. Um, 
And I don't plan on having a garage when I get there because sure. most of the places in Vegas, it's like a little higher cost of living because they don't make anything there. Everything has to be shipped in. Um, and there are the houses with garages are more expensive than they are here. So I, I would expect I'll be getting some sort of apartment or maybe duplex or, you know, something like that. Um, that's maybe adjoined. So I don't probably won't have as much space for everything. Like, I, like I'm a, I'm a, whatever it takes kind of guy. So if I, if it takes me moving halfway across the country and take half my stuff with me, like, I don't really care about my couch. I don't really care about my coffee table. It doesn't matter to me. It's just a thing. I've always been um, very minimalist. So if I get a one bedroom studio apartment, I would be okay with that. If I get to coach people driving Ferraris all day or Porsche, whatever, like that's, it's like a dream job. I, how can I say no to this? So, uh, unfortunately they're not paying for travel expenses. So it's going to cost like thousands of dollars to get one of those pods and ship it all, all, all over there. And so like, do I sell my washer and dryer? Like, do I sell both motorcycles? Like I'm going to be riding and driving at the track every day anyway. So do I need a supermoto? Yeah, it'd be nice to have around town, but like that's another four or five thousand dollars right there that could pay for the move. So trying to weigh all the options and uh, trying to sell everything, I guess. See where where that takes me. You can always buy it again when you get there. That's easy come, easy go, buddy. <laughs> yep. And like, uh, you know, I keep thinking like if my house was burning right now, what would I take with me? There's probably like a handful of things that I really care about. Do I really care about like the blender in the, in the box I haven't used for six months, you know, like there's so many things I have that I'm, I guess I'm fortunate to have these things, but like, I don't need four Rubik's cubes and like, you know, <laughs> all these different things. So, uh, you need 30 cars though, damn it. <laughs> I have at least two. I have electric and an acoustic and I was like, okay, I should stop there at selling the rest of the instruments. And, uh, I did buy, although I haven't really got around to it. I just moved it today a little bit, uh, to get to something else. But, um, I played the piano years ago and I was pretty good, but I pretty much forgot all of that. So, um, my muscle memory has faded for the, for the piano, but I was like, I, a year, about a year or two ago, I bought a, a piano and it was, it was like a MIDI M audio piano. It's a pretty, pretty good one. Uh, you hook up to your computer and I realized that I don't want to have to use my computer every time I play the piano. It's kind of like an involved thing. You got to upload the software and turn it on and it takes a minute. Like um, not super quick. So I sold that one. I just returned it and I got a new one. That's um, I couldn't tell you the brand, but it's a, a full size piano that folds up um, in four, in four spots. So it has three hinges on it. And, uh, it's like a a backpack piano. You could take it wherever you can. You can also plug it in, um, to your computer, but it's not dependent on your computer. So, uh, it's pretty compact and, uh, you can take it on a plane, you know, it's it's very, uh, very portable. So that was something I was looking for. Cause it's like, I don't want to put it on my podcast table and have to move it every time I want to play, you know, that's kind of irritating. So um, that's something I want to do. I have so many interests, man. There's not enough time. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> man. Too many hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> I wish my hobbies started paying me money. But uh, that's that's why this could be a paying gig. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get 
uh, podcast sponsors now. It's like I reach X amount of audience. I have probably over 50,000 views on YouTube by now. So it's like, that's not nothing. Like there could be X company who, uh, who might want a 15, 30 second, 60 second ad. And then I broke it down where if you buy, buy five episodes for, for this amount of time, you get a discount by you buy 10, there's a discount. So, you know, start out slow, uh, small and, and grow from there. Should uh, talk to uh, Sport Mike Track Gear, see if they want to pitch yeah, in. Maybe I definitely could. I know Brian. I've worked with, for him for for a couple of years. So looks like Max is doing pretty good, huh? He is. He's uh, he's killing it out there. He's um, he uh, crashing a little bit here, <laughs> but uh, he's uh, I don't know exactly where in the championship, but um, yeah, it's cool to see local home yeah. home guys uh, do well. That is cool. There's a yep. bunch of Michigan guys who are up and comers, I, I think. And, uh, you know, Michigan is back on the map, I'd say. That's good. Then we have Carl. We would have Carl. Carl Soltis, send it. <laughs> Damn it, Carl. Hey, is Cart to Cart still having their winter series going on over there? Cart to Cart doesn't exist anymore. No way. Yeah, wow. it, it got bought out by another company, actually. It's still, it's still there. They still do karting and all that, but uh, it's under FTAP, Full Throttle Adrenaline Park. And uh, FTAP has, it's like a franchise. So they have multiple locations. Um, I think they might have five or six locations throughout the country, not just the state. Um, So it's pretty much the same thing, just corporate now. So are they still letting the bikes in there in the wintertime? Um, They did up until... February and I had bought uh I had bought a couple sessions to use for a Great Lake Supermoto through cart to cart at the time. And then you know that facility is not a purpose-built facility for for carting. It is a warehouse that they turned into a carting facility that the carts have way less emissions than the than they do when 60 mini bikes come in for a track day or a race event. So all that smoke set off the carbon monoxide warnings and the alarms and uh fire department came and shut them down and said, you can't do this anymore until you upgrade your, your air filtration or, or, you know, um, all that stuff. So they, uh, they don't do it right now. Um, but it's about to be winter. So we'll see what happens if they finally upgraded everything. That was almost a year ago. That's always a, a bummer of, like mine, because I live so far up here that we miss out on like all the concerts and shit that go on down there. We don't have any of that up here. Yeah, it's probably much more spread out. You're in uh, Gaylord. Yeah, there's nothing going on up here. <laughs> Is that uh, uh, Atsigo? Uh, yeah. Okay. Yep. I would live about a mile away from the lake. Okay. You just have a totally different vibe up there. Yes. It's a little bit of white trash vibe. <laughs> yeah isn't it i find it so interesting why there's so much literal trash in people's yards like what are you doing like do you what, what's going on here i don't get it man it's like people's pride is just going right down the toilet I, man, clean clean that shit up you know <laughs> at least you got like uh usually a larger space between the houses when you're up there yeah i live in the woods so it's i got good neighbors that's all i say <laughs> that's really good you know uh, one thing I'm not going to miss about Michigan is the cold weather. Like I, I love snowboarding. I love snow sports, but 
I'd rather travel to the snow than live in the snow. And uh, I live next to a main road, like 50 feet away is uh, Hall Road, M M59. So it's loud as hell. Like I go other places and I'm like, oh, it's quiet here. People look at me funny. Like, no, I mean, like my house is so loud all the time. I'm surprised people can't hear it with this microphone. Uh, but I've, I've changed some of the settings, so it, it should filter out some of those things. Um, but still, it's like, man, I think you you're more stressed because you're hearing all that all the time like it's just a droning noise yeah. all the time that you try to forget about you try not to think about it but it's always kind of there there's like truck trucks jaybreaking and uh ambulances and like i feel like i'm in new york city like yeah. uh it's uh just constant and then all the time there's accidents right out in front of my house or not too long ago there's a car fire like a hundred feet away from my house. I'm like, is that going to catch my house on fire? Like I'm kind of nervous right now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it's, it's something I'm not going to miss is being, uh, being right next to the main road. Yeah. I, uh, I'm looking forward to retirement. So we're not up here during the winter. It's only about three months that I would really like to get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll be here for when the snow comes and when the snow leaves and then there's really nothing better than Northern Michigan summers, man. It's, Know. not That's too fine. hot not too cold yeah kind of right in the middle there yep you can do a lot of dirt biking in the summertime it seems like a good place to do it all the orv trails yeah literally i can leave my house and go hit some trails that's like, great so, that's cool and then uh you know my my family we my family my oldest oldest brother has been racing motocross for as long as i can remember when we were living in utica he was racing so when i was two, three years old. I remember going to the races down there, watching him race. Yeah. So tracks are pretty plentiful for us up here still. So yeah, it's, it has its benefits. I mean, every, every place has good things and bad things. So there's always there. a trade off. It seems like yep. never, you can never have it all unless you just have a helicopter. You can fly to the next place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd be nice. But uh, what's on your mind today? Is anything uh, you wanted to talk about? Yeah, just like I said, I wanted to bring Heather up here so she she could give her her view on the whole racing thing. I think she's happy that I'm I finally uh, come to grips where I know that I'm not going to be racing anymore. And there's still times where it's like, man, I feel like I, want, I could line up and do 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 a race, and then the more I think about it, no, no, you can't. You just can't. <laughs> well, I mean, you could you could race, just not at a hundred percent. You still have your I, leathers, right? Still have my leathers, still have all my gear. Like I still have my generator, my warm warmers, everything. I I can load up and go to the track right now if I want to. Yeah. Of course, my leathers are probably a little tighter in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Number, but... you gotta stretch them out. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Fifty four, fifty four years old. So just, I need to even even riding the trails now. I don't. I don't. I don't don't ride as hard as I used to. I go, it's not a race. I'm out here to enjoy ride my bike. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the ground hurts a lot, um, no matter how old you are. And uh, one of my buddies crashed on his street bike the other day. He said he wasn't even going that fast, but there were leaves on like uh, like a cobblestone pavement, so it was huh. super low grip, and it just the rear end stepped out, and he went right over. And he said, "Thank God I was wearing my helmet." Because my face, uh, he would have been in the ICU. He said my, my helmet was almost like crushed in. 
uh, where, where he landed and how he landed. So uh, he's like, man, I can't imagine doing that at a hundred miles an hour. It's uh, yeah, you can, can't you? <laughs> <laughs> you definitely can. Um, but it doesn't feel good. The ground is really hard. Oh, I, I, I crashed probably doing about 35. I didn't crash as fast as what you were going. But yeah. yeah, it comes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, in all the crashes I've had, there's only one bad one. Um, uh, you know, I think I've maybe crashed 17 times on the track um, in all the different years I've been racing. But some of them are like, you fall over at three miles an hour in the gravel trap, but, but your handlebar touched the ground. Does that count? I mean, kind of, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember going into the bus stop and I hit neutral. Oh, no. Bus stop at Grant and I hit neutral and uh, uh, instantly made my bike go straight up and I went off the track and I went whoosh, right out. That was one of my dumb crashes. Well, I mean, uh, the, the neutral one is... Uh, is what I'm all too familiar with. I didn't. I haven't crashed because of hitting a false neutral, but it can definitely cause one if you're if you're not expecting it, or you don't know what to do, or you don't react quick enough, or the bike is just unsettled enough, then it just it washes out. Um, I've had it happen a couple times uh, riding Kawasaki's. They're notorious for bad transmissions. Unfortunately, I love them, but that's one of their there's there's uh, not strong points. Their weak points and. Uh, I think one time Barber turned one, it did it. Um, and you're coming down the hill, you're expecting that back pressure and it's not there. You're like, well, it's got to come from somewhere else. And usually that's the front wheel and you're already overloading the front wheel. And it just pushes, it feels like it's pushing you into the corner because you're not slowing down now. Right. But uh, use that runoff if you can. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, grass is really slick. <laughs> it's like water. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's about an hour and a half, so I could probably cut it there. Um, so thanks for talking to me again for that uh, for that year and a half recap, and uh, maybe I'll get back oh, with yeah. you in, in another year or so. All right. Well, good luck in uh, Vegas, and I'm sure I'll keep up with you. Very good, man. Talk to you soon, and I'll see you at the racetrack. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Hi, my name is Eric Swan. I'm highly involved in the motorsports industry. I own and operate ESR, Eric Swan Racing. ESR has many parts. I sell racing parts online, have a podcast with over 100 episodes, I'm a sponsored professional level racer, work as a motorcycle riding coach for multiple organizations, a race official, motorcycle test rider, and produce marketing and advertising for businesses. After hundreds of hours of podcasting, I'm interested in using my voice commercially for broadcasting, audiobooks, commercials, voice acting, and other opportunities that may arise. Please consider using me, Eric Swan, for your next audio voiceovers. Head over to ericswanracing.com for more information.